0: Good evening, everyone. All right, so we always start with a smile check. All right, we're going to start on this side tonight. Smiling, yes. Yes, Razel, I like that smile. That looks good. Very good, very good. Smiling. All right, on this side. Smiling, yes. Praise God. Praise God. All right, I was checking. Some people test me. You know, they literally go, it's all right. I love you still. Amen. What well, we're going to study tonight, we're going to pick up from last, last night. We touched a little bit on it this morning, but we couldn't really get into it. The Spirit didn't allow for us to continue fully from the night before. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm actually holding. Is this on? Can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't hear it on. I have a very good voice. Yeah. All right. All right. So I just want to I just want to make sure. So I'm actually holding to what the spirit allows me to speak. Like I have a plan. I have organized my thoughts. But then I stand here and then there's an instruction. And I have to follow the dictates of the inspiration of how the spirit moves. And so tonight we're going to press forward. And by God's grace, if you would stay with me. We'll get to the place where we need to be tonight. Is that okay? so before we begin, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer if you can bow your head or if you would like to kneel, that's un- that's fine. Our Father in heaven. we just thank you for your grace, your mercy your tender regard for us. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. And, Father, night after night, we've come to study, and not just to study, but to draw closer to you. So, Father, I ask that you reveal more clearly your plan of salvation, that we will understand and walk in concert with your plan. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So last, last night, we began to look at the temples, is that right? And as we were looking at these temples, we were looking at the first temple and the second temple. And the reason why we were looking at these temples was because there's an expectation for a third temple to be built. And we made some correlations and one of the correlations that we made was with Solomon's temple, which was the first temple. When God accepted that building as his home, he signified it by his presence via fire. And we noticed that the people that came together, they were in one place. They were on one accord. They had one mind. And God honored that finished work with his presence. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, fire came down from heaven. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, God manifested himself in a cloud. We also noticed this morning, I added another piece to it because there's always more than what I actually give you. We added another piece to it. When the sanctuary tabernacle was finished, God manifested himself in that temple. And when he manifested himself in that temple, no man could enter into that temple. No man could minister in that temple while God's presence was evident. Does everybody follow that idea? And there was a reason for that. And then we made a a correlation or a comparison to Herod's temple. We read in Haggai chapter 2 verse 9 where it began to compare the former temple with the latter temple. And in Haggai 2 verse 3, it highlighted that the latter temple was going to be greater than the former temple. And then verse 7 said the reason why that was so powerful or so important because the desire of ages, the desire of nations was going to enter into Herod's temple. Now Herod's temple was not as beautiful as Solomon's temple, but when we're talking about the plan of salvation, we're looking at Jesus, the covenant-keeping God, manifesting himself in human form, and demonstrating what a Christian would live like if they were fully yielding to God's Spirit. Does everybody follow that idea? So in the first temple, God's presence is manifested. In the second temple, God's presence is manifested, but in human form. We also made another comparison. We saw that in Solomon's temple, as God's people broke their covenant relationship with God, in Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel chapter 9, 10, and 11, especially in 11, verses 23, and 24, God's presence literally leaves the temple, the Shekinah glory leaves the temple, and the Bible says it goes and sits on the east mountain. It rests there because God could no longer live in that house because the house was corrupted. And I use a very graphic illustration. Does anybody remember what the graphic illustration was? Let me do it again just in case you forgot. Let's say there was only one way into the room. I locked every door, no other door, but that door was the way in. And I said, you know what? I'm going to drop some snakes into the room. How many want to stay in the room? No. And then I would pour in a hose of manure and it would just come in into the room. How many want to stay in the room? No. What about I let in a bunch of mice and a bunch of all, no, definitely not the mice, huh? So in the temple, there is a level of desecration, a level of uncleanness, and God can no longer remain in an unclean temple. The people had refused God to clean it up. And because they had refused God, God says, your house is left unto you desolate. So God literally, his presence literally gets up, and leaves and goes and sits on the east mountain. Now we saw in comparison Jesus, Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is preaching, we eavesdropped on a sermon. He starts out by calling them vipers. That's not a good, you know, loving phraseology, at least as I perceive it on the surface. He's talking very harshly to those who have religious leadership because the religious leadership is making it hard for people to find salvation. Does that make sense? So God is being very terse and very strong with them, and at the end of chapter 3, he literally says, your house is left unto you desolate. And Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus literally leaves out the temple and never goes back into the temple from that day forward. Not one time did he go back into the temple after Matthew chapter 24. That temple, The absence of God leaves a man or a woman desolate. The absence of his presence leaves a man or a woman desolate. You and I cannot live for a moment in a spiritual sense without the most high. We need him. Not one moment of any day can you say, I did this good thing and that good thing and that good thing, and somehow you've made your way into heaven. No, my friend, you need him. I need him. There's a song, you know, that that says, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every what? Every hour, I need thee. So these temples are being compared. God's presence is in both, but the plan of salvation is even nearer to us because the man Jesus has taken human form. Now, both of these are pictures of the temples. Now, Solomon's temple, more beautiful Uh, The people of God, during the time that Solomon's temple was built or constructed, that temple was magnificent. It was amazing. But during that time frame, the people of God did not keep the Sabbath. They broke it on a regular basis. And if you were to take all the years of the time of Solomon's temple and all the Jubilee Sabbaths that they broke, it would actually add up to 70 years. So for 70 years, the people of God were to be taken into captivity. Now, I'm giving you an overview because at the end of the day, I have to get to a certain place tonight. So they were taken into captivity for 70 years. And remember last night, let me pass this. Remember last night I gave you this chart? Do you have that chart? Okay, what I'm going to do tonight, again, we're going to give you the answer, but tonight we're going to work our problem. We're going to work our problem tonight. Are you ready? So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter nine. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine, and we're going to begin reading at verse. I want to say 24. verse 24. Daniel 9 and verse 24, and what I'm going to do in these few moments, I want to take about 10 to 15 minutes to work the problem. We're going to establish the answer to the problem as far as the numbers are concerned, and then we're going to make an application, okay? So in Daniel, 7, Daniel 9, verse 24, the Bible says, "...seventy weeks are determined upon thy people." And upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, Shall be what's it say, my friends? Seven weeks and what? Three score and two weeks the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for how long, my friends? One week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, we read the whole context. Let's do a little bit of mathematics So notice how the angel begins to describe this prophecy with a large number first. He describes it first by saying 70 weeks. Does everybody get that? So I just want to do this because sometimes this gets complicated, and I never had anybody teach this to me in a simple way. And I didn't know why they never taught it to me, but I don't, you know. But anyway, so we're going to start like this. We're going to start with the first large number. Seventy weeks. We're going to figure out what that means. Now, this is a prophecy. Okay, so sometimes prophecies are symbolic. Even numbers can be symbolic in nature. Okay? The other thing that it does, it says 70 weeks, and then it divides the 70 weeks into three numerical parts. Three numerical parts. The first numerical part is seven weeks. The next numerical part is 62 weeks. So you say, where is 62? The the word score means 20. Okay? So you look it up, any biblical, anything. Score is 20. So when it says three score, that's three times 20, that's 60. Three score in two weeks, that's 62 weeks. And then it says one week. So if you add 7 to 62, what is that number? I need a little bit faster, you mathematics students. All right. 7 plus 62 is what, my friends? 69. 69 plus 1 is what? You think this one's better? I I appreciate that, man. (laughs) All right. So these three numbers add up to this one number. Does everybody get that? All right, so that's the first point. I want to make it oversimplified for your minds. So we're talking about one prophecy. The angel starts out by talking about the totality of the prophecy, saying 70 weeks. So let's do a little bit of math. 70 weeks. Now, a day in Bible prophecy equals one year. Make sure you write that down. A day in Bible prophecy equals a year. So a day equals a year. We'll find that in Ezekiel chapter four in verse six. Write that down. You don't want to believe me. Please don't believe me. I am a preacher. Don't believe preachers. Okay. so you want to write that down. Ezekiel four and verse six, and you want to write down numbers, chapter 14 and verse thirty four. Now, in my mind, when I began to study this prophecy, I considered it an anchor prophecy, meaning that there are many prophecies in the Bible. There are some prophecies that talk about how Israel is going to be captive for so long. There are other prophecies that talk about how long a, a, a power is going to be in existence. But this prophecy, because it's particularly talking about the Messiah, I consider it an anchor prophecy, meaning I have to understand it for myself. I'm not going to leave it to a preacher. I'm not going to leave it to a teacher. I need to know for me. And brothers and sisters, I'm just going to say this. There was a time when people that came to church were called the people of the book. Meaning that they were not dependent upon a preacher in order to understand the word for themselves. They put the time in. They put the energy in to break the scriptures for themselves, to understand for themselves what it meant. Because your salvation is too important to leave in the hands of somebody else. So again, 70 weeks. So I'm gonna ask you a simple question, just follow me. How many days are in a week? Seven, Seven. very good. So I have seven days in one week, so I take seven times 70, what will that give me? 490, all right? So this 70 weeks is actually 490 days. Everybody follow so far? All right. So a day in Bible prophecy equals a what? A year. Very good. You guys are on the money. So that means 490 days is actually what? 490 years. Everybody okay so far? I'm trying to make this extremely simple and basic. But remember, we're doing the problem, but the numbers are not the most important part of this stuff. I'm going to get to the why. We're going to get to the undergirding point of it in a moment. So remember, I told you that the 70 weeks is broken into three parts, seven weeks, three score and two weeks, and one week, okay? So the angel breaks it in three parts, and he says, well, don't worry about that number at the bottom. He says seven weeks. So if there's seven weeks, how many days are in a week again? So seven times seven is what? 49. You're all right. Don't worry. (laughs) So forty nine. So if it's forty nine days and a day in Bible prophecy equals a year, how many years is it? Very God. You guys are in the money on the money. This is this is easy peasy. Right. So now we have the second or the, the second part of the three parts of the prophecy. Sixty two weeks. There's seven days in a week. What is sixty two times seven? what is it all right guys 62 it's 434 some of us have to go back to school amen all right it's 434 all right 434 days a day in prophecy equals a year so what does that mean 434 years very good next part here. So if I'm adding this, if I'm taking seven weeks plus 69 weeks, that will equal 69 weeks. I mean, I'm sorry, seven plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks. Everybody follow that? All right. And then I just take 69 times seven. It gives me 483, 483 years. I mean, days equals 483 years. Simple. So now we just have to do the math for the next part. But I believe I want to go back to my Bible for a moment. Go back to to Daniel 9. We're putting the numbers up, but the numbers have significance. There's something happening within the numbers. Daniel 9, and we're looking again at verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now pause for a second. Who is the one receiving this instruction? Who's receiving the instruction? Daniel. Daniel. What is Daniel's nationality? he's Jewish. So when the Bible is talking, it's saying there are 70 weeks determined. That word determined is chata or kata, which means it's cut off for. It's a probationary time for the nation of Israel to do something. Does everybody follow? Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Notice what else it says. And upon thy holy city. Tell me, what is the name of Daniel's holy city? You guys are on the money tonight. You're doing good. So Jerusalem is the name of the holy city. So there are 70 weeks determined for Daniel's people who are the Jewish nation, and they have 70 weeks to accomplish something. What are they to accomplish? 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Notice what they're to accomplish. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, for a moment, I just want to leave that on the shelf. Can we do that? We're going to put that on the shelf. We're going to come back to that. That's actually very, very important. So to put that on the shelf, we're going to keep reading the next verse. The next verse says, Know therefore and understand. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build. What's the commandment supposed to compose of? Restore and to what? All right, so let me give you a little bit of history. You go back and check and see if I'm telling the truth. In the year 538, King Cyrus and Darius come and take Babylon captive. The Medes and the Persians take this kingdom. When they take this kingdom two years into this, somehow the man Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. It goes to King Cyrus and says, hey, Cyrus, your name's in the book of Isaiah. Your name's here in Isaiah chapter 44, uh, the last verse there, and going into chapter 45. Your name's here, and it says that you're supposed to release God's people. And Cyrus is like, Whoa, this is written about me? 150 years before I even existed? This is amazing. In 536, Cyrus gives a decree for the children of Israel to return back to Jerusalem to build. What did I say he gave them the permission to do? Build. He gave them permission to build. What, what are the two components that the angel says is the decree? restore and what come on now you stand with me we're, we're we're working through it we're working through it this is one of the most beautiful prophecies if you just take your time so the command is to restore and build but this this leader gives them a chance to go build so they go back and they start building you can read about the story in the book of Ezra book of Nehemiah another uh decree goes out because as the people of God are building they're doing a great work their surrounding nations are getting jealous So they go and write to the king, these guys are doing usurping work. They're they're doing something that you don't want them to do. So a command comes and they end up stopping the work. Stopping the work. So the king, uh, King Darius, uh, not the Darius, that's Cyrus's uncle, but another King Darius. King Darius sends another decree, giving the permission for them to continue to build. Now, mind you, I wanna take you to a story In your mind, because we can't turn to all these passages, but I want you to note the story in your notes. Do you remember the story of Queen Esther? Do you guys know that story, Queen Esther? Now, Queen Esther, beautiful woman, God sent her in that time to be in the kingdom, and uh, there was a guy named, what's the guy's name? Not Mordecai, the other one. Haman, thank you. So Haman didn't like the Jews, got the king to pass a decree to say the Jews had to be killed, okay? Now, when Esther exposes the plot, the king is not allowed to go in and change the law, so the king makes an addendum to the same law and gives permission for the Jews to fight and defend themselves. The laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. Remember Daniel throwing in the lion's den? Remember that story? The king wanted to save him. The king was like, man, I, I'm, I got tricked, but I can't change the law. Praise God that God kept the lion's mouth shut. Amen. Amen. But the laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed, but it can be added to. Um, it's interesting. Go with me to, for a moment to the book of uh, Ezra, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Is that right? Yes. No, Ezra 6, verse 14. That's right. Go to Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah. Watch this. Ezra 6 in verse 14. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. It says in verse 14, And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edu, and they build it and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel, according to the commandment, now commandment, is that singular or plural? Now watch what this does. According to the commandment of Cyrus and who? Darius and who? Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So remember, I told you initially, Cyrus gave them permission to build. Darius gives them permission to build, but I'd exert, she says, I'm not only giving you permission to build, but I'm going to restore you. Look at Ezra 7 and verse 7. Ezra 7 in verse 7. I hope you're writing these things down. I want you to know that there are no notes here. Do you see any notes? There's nothing written in my Bible. And I want you also to know that I am not a hired pastor. I am a layperson. Meaning that you as a people need to open your Bibles and you need to study too. It is not for the preacher to be the expert and everybody else just gets to chill. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are to be Bible students. You need to own your supposed religion. Can I say that? All right. you still my friends. Ezra seven, in verse seven. Now this is interesting. Again, you can look this up on your own. Ezra seven seven gives us a date when the last portion of the command to restore and build is given. It says in verse seven, and there went up some of the children of Israel, and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters. And the Nethanethim unto Jerusalem in the what year, my friends? The seventh year of Artaxerxes. Now, if you were to look up in your historical writings, Artaxerxes comes to begin to reign and rule in the year 465, 464. He begins to reign in that time frame. So, seven years from that point will give you the year. 4.57, 4.57, because the time goes, starts counting backwards before, before in the B.C., all right? So Artaxerxes comes to power, and around this time, in the seventh year, he does something. Look at verse number 11. Look at verse 11. And we're going to take our time because we are students tonight. Verse 11 says, now this is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest." the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes of Israel, to Israel. Now this is in their language in in the Hebrew text, but it's actually Artaxerxes' letter here. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time. I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel And of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will, to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. Forasmuch as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God, which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem and all the silver and gold that thou canst find in the province of Babylon, with the freewill offering of the people and the priests, offering willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem, that thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs, with their meat offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold that do after the will of your god the vessels also that are given thee for the service of the house of thy god those deliver thou before the god of israel and whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy god which thou shalt have occasion to bestow bestow it out of the king's treasure house and i even i art xerxes the king do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river that whatsoever Ezra the priest scribe, of the law of God of heaven shall require of you, it shall be done, how my friends? Unto a hundred talents of silver and to a hundred measures of wheat and to a hundred baths of wine and to a hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much? Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Wow, that's interesting. Also, watch this now. Also, we certify you that touching any of the priests and Levites, singers, porters, Nethinim of ministers of the house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll, tribute, or custom upon them. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set, set what, my friends? magistrates and what judges which may judge all the people that are beyond the river all such as know the laws of thy God and to teach ye them that know them not and whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king of let judgment be executed speedily upon him whether it be unto death or to banishment or to confiscation or goods or imprisonment blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which have put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So in this command, I know that some of y'all went to sleep on that. (laughs) In this command, God not only has now given them permission to build, but now they have the ability to run their nation with their own laws. Do you see the restoration there? Okay. Okay. So the angel said, when the command comes to restore and to build, from that point, that's when we began to count the time prophecy. Does everybody follow that? So 457 is the beginning of that time prophecy. Go back to Daniel now. Go back to Daniel. You guys are doing good. I don't see anybody's eyes glazed over at the moment. You're still with me back to Daniel 9, watch carefully now, this is interesting, and I want to read, we're in verse number 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall in troublous time, so you'll see here that I have streets and walls built in troublous times. You can read all about the troublous times in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah makes it extremely plain all the troubles that he was going through as they were building the walls to protect the temple. Okay? Everybody follow that? And it says unto Messiah the Prince. Now unto Messiah the Prince is between 408 and the next date we're going to put up, which is going to be 27 AD. Now I don't have time to show you all the mathematics. If you do the math, you may come up with 26 AD. Now, it, the reason why this is significant because there's a, in mathematics, when we count, let me see if I could do it this way. And again, I don't want to overburden you with too much information. Now here's the black marker he gave me. Nope, it's a pen. <laughs> I got it, I got it, I'm good. When you count in regular math, you go, if you had negative, let's say a negative four, negative three, negative two, negative one, then you have what? Zero. zero. Then you have one, right? Now, when you're doing time, B.C. A.D., D, there is no year, no year zero. So if you're doing the math, what would end up happening is you would go, uh, let's just go, let's, let's act like we're coming from, uh, this, 20, this, this is 27. So this would be 27. This would be 26. This would be 25. This would be 24. This would be 23. There's no year zero. So sometimes if you're doing the math, you would a- end up having 27 here, but there is no 27 there. Does that, follow, does that make sense, everybody? All right, so in, so in other words, if you did the math here, it will come up to 26. You have to add another year just to make sure you, you, you understand that there's no U0 in the, in the equation. That was a little complicated, but not too much. All right, so you add it up, and it comes to the year 27 AD. Now, this is important because the Messiah is cut off after the 62 weeks. Go back to your Bibles, Daniel 9, and let's do a quick review. Let me, let's do a little quick review. How many days in a week, my friend? Seven, And this 70-week time prophecy, who is it for? It's for the Jews. It's for Daniel's people. And you're going to find out that we become Daniel's people too later in another study. But this is for Daniel's people. So this whole 70 weeks, contextually speaking, is particularly for this chosen group of individuals. All right. Let's go a little bit further. Daniel 9. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, three score in two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the walls in trouble is time. And then it says, and after three score, after three score in two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. Messiah be cut off. Who's the Messiah? So simple. So after three score in two weeks, the Messiah is going to be cut off. But who is he cut off for? For us, Right he died for you and me it's interesting if you if you were to look at the there's a jewish curse on this passage of of scripture there's actually a curse promoted and saying if you read this passage you are cursed the reason why they don't want you to read the passage because it actually pinpoints the arrival of the messiah it tells you when he manifested himself in flesh and walked planet earth this is this is a powerful prophecy But it's just not about the numbers. It's about what he did. What the Bible is saying that he's going to do. So watch. It says, the Messiah is cut off but not for himself. And then it says, and the people of the prince shall come, that shall come, shall destroy. What is it going to destroy, my friends? The city and what else? There's two things that it destroys. So I'm going to focus on the destruction of the city. In the year 66 AD, the year 66 AD, a man named Cestius comes to Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem. This is after Jesus has already prophesied in Matthew 24 verse 20, pray that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath because you're going to need to get out of here. You're going to have to make a run for it. And if you see, in fact, let me just say it. Just go to Matthew 24 for a second. Look, Look at what it says. I'm quoting it, but you need to see it. Look at this. Matthew 24. And Father, as we go deeper into your word, I just ask for clarity of thought and feeling that the main points can be understood. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, in Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking, talks about the end times. He goes through a list of Natural disasters, false prophets, false teachers, false Christ. It says the gospel is going to be preached in all the world. And then verse 15. Verse 15. We, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by... What's the guy's name? Come on now. By Dang the prophet stand where? In the holy place. And then there's like this little riddle phrase there. Whoso readeth, let him understand. I, I, this stuff, that seems, I'd be on a mission, like, when I was younger, I used to love, like, the A-Team. Anybody watch the A-Team? Yeah, yeah I, I used to love the A-Team. And they have all these different missions, and, or Indiana Jones at the Temple of Doom. Anybody seen that before? Now you confessing. So what, <laughs> so what would be interesting is they go on all these journeys, right? They'd be finding these, these, these little things, and they'd be like, okay, let's go find this. And they'd go on these adventures. Do you realize... This book is the greatest adventure you could possibly read. I mean, it is absolutely phenomenal. I love this book. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. There's so much there. Don't want to go too much into that. But then it says, then let them which be in Judea flee where, my friends? Into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And then he says in verse 20, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulations, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time No, nor shall be now keep that in mind i want to go back and reemphasize verse 15 when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation now with your hand go to luke chapter 21 luke chapter 21 jesus is again speaking in the same thank you brother jesus again speaking in in the same context just a different perspective from luke and in Luke chapter 21, begin at verse 20. Look at what the Bible says. Luke 21, verse 20 says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem, you see Jerusalem, compass with what, my friends? In Matthew 24, verse 15, it says, When ye shall see the abominations of desolation. Luke 21, 20 makes a little different application and says, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is what? Okay, so you got that in your mind. Jesus is saying to to them, when you see this happen, don't stay in there. So let's go back. Cestius, 8066, comes to wipe out the rebellion in Jerusalem. He gets there and they're about to go in. And as they're getting ready to go in, they hear that there's another army that's attacking in a different place. So Cesius and his army actually flee and they begin to go in the opposite direction. When they begin to go in the opposite direction, the Jews start saying, Oh, the Lord is fighting for us. So the Jews come out and they actually cause a great uh, killing on the Roman army. But the Christians, the believers of what Jesus said, said, Oh, the army surrounded Jerusalem, were out. They left immediately. Four years later, Titus, the son of Vespian, the emperor, Titus came back. And when Titus came back, brothers and sisters, that was a wrap. In fact, the, the Titus did not want to destroy the temple. Titus actually wanted to keep the temple in place. You can look this up in the historical writings. Titus wanted to keep the temple, and the, the Jewish leaders ran inside the temple to protect themselves from Titus and his army. And as they were in that temple, the, 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 one of the people inside the temple threw a, a dart or something at the Romans, and the Romans were upset. So one of the soldiers took a firebrand and put it in the beam of the temple, and the whole temple caught on fire. And they slaughtered everybody in the temple. And the soldiers saw the gold that had melted in between the rocks of the temple. And they literally took crowbars, or what you call them, and broke the stones so that there was not one stone left upon another. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In exact fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. So in my mind, I'm processing this prophecy, and I'm looking back on how when Jesus walked the earth, they rejected him. They rejected him as their Messiah. They rejected him as their Savior. They rejected him. And in my mind, I say, it's easy to think, oh, they rejected him. But you know, the Laodicean church, the last church, the, pe- the last church that's judged, it says that Jesus stands at the door and, and knocks. Now tell me, you have a house. I have a house. I don't knock on my door. The door I have, I have a key. I have free access. The only time I would, if I had to knock, which I've never knocked on this door. This door is actually very hard <laughs> and green. I've never knocked on this door because I own it. I have access to it. Jesus only knocks on doors that he doesn't have access to. So in my, in my mind, as I'm processing this, again, the Jewish people, we say, oh, they, they rejected the Messiah. No, we do the same thing. Because if Jesus has the opportunity to sup with us and to commune with us, then our lives would reflect the reality of that fellowship. It would reflect that reality that I've sat with Jesus, I've talked with Jesus. You know, when the disciples, when Jesus had left and they heard the disciples preach and teach, they said, man, these, these surely these young men have spent time with Jesus. They talked like Jesus, they preached like Jesus, they healed like Jesus. There was no question that these were Christians it's a question today it's almost like christianity is being redefined (laughs) trying to make it something that it's not so there's a there's this this response go back go back with me now go back to daniel 9 we are we're doing good time we're doing good time we've been talking for 40 minutes just in case you're keeping track I have a minimum of another 20, and then uh, if you are really still here, I might give another 10. All right, so we're back in Daniel 9. Watch what happens here. In Daniel 9, I want to reread verse 25, going into verse 26. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall in troublous time. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. That's what we just covered. And the sanctuary. I'm going to leave that alone for now. And the end thereof shall be with a, what's it say, my friend? With a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, one of the things that I found very interesting, like if you're studying Daniel, I'm actually going to work on a new series where I'm just going through the book of Daniel. But when you go through the book of Daniel, you take Daniel 2, take Daniel 7, you take Daniel 8 and 9, you take Daniel 11, they all are parallel. They are repeat and expand prophecies. They repeat and expand. They repeat and expand. What I found interesting is that every prophecy, when done properly, goes all the way down to the end of time so even though this prophecy is pinpointing a time frame the effects of this prophecy go all the way down to the end of time does that make sense everybody so the time frame jesus comes on the scene jesus dies all that happens within a time frame but the effects of what happens in that goes all the way down to the end of time does that make sense all right let's go a little bit further I want to put these up. So remember the last week, the last week, there's one week. How many days in a week? Seven. So seven times one is seven. Seven days equals seven years. So this last week of time is the time frame in which the Messiah himself shows up. Now some have misinterpreted this, and it's not by accident that it's happened. There's actually a group of persons who have misused this portion of the prophecy to distract God's people from the actual application. It is used as a means to reassign who the Antichrist is. And to me, it's one of the strangest misapplications because this prophecy actually is talking about Jesus this last week, but people have taken this prophecy that last week and taken it and put it in a future time, just like, and it's just out there floating. It's just, and it's just waiting for someone to apply it to whenever. And they say, and I'm telling you what they say, they say that last week of time, that one week, is sometime when the Antichrist presents himself. Sometime during that time frame, they, the people of God are going to be raptured away, and it's just a, it's a very interesting application. But it's not what the Bible is teaching. Remember, the 70 weeks are determined upon Who? the jewish people this is what this week is for now you're still in daniel 9 look at what it says in verse number 27 verse 27 the bible says and he shall confirm the covenant for how long my friends so if you're confirming a covenant is the is the antichrist confirming a covenant I don't think so. I don't think an antichrist would confirm a covenant. The covenant is confirmed by Jesus Christ himself. It says he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblations to cease. What is that talking about? You see, Jesus himself confirms the covenant in the midst of the week, in the midst of his three and a half years of his public ministry, Jesus dies. And when he dies, he causes the oblation and the sacrifice to cease. What is the oblation and sacrifice? Remember those, the Jewish people that we saw yesterday on the screen? Remember they are reinstituting the Levitical priesthood? Remember they brought a lamb and they killed it literally? Yes. So Jesus, when he dies, no more lambs to be slain. Praise God. Amen. The blood of Jesus is enough to save us from our sins. There is no more need for the illustration of a literal lamb dying. Jesus has died. He has demonstrated to us his great love. So here in the midst of the week, Jesus dies. No more blood sacrifice. No no more ceremonial Sabbaths to be kept in a literal way. Now, if you want, listen to me, I will just say this. There are some who want to keep the Day of Atonement, the Passover, and those types of things. And if you want to have those rituals in your home as, as like a pastime, that's up to you. But Jesus himself, according to Daniel 9, this stuff is done away. Ceremonials done away. Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. Does everybody follow that? Okay, just stay with me on this. So for three and a half years, Jesus walked and talked and taught, and instructed. For three and a half years, he was in person living a life that reflected his close fellowship with God. And after he dies, for three and a half years, his disciples, filled with the Holy Ghost, are teaching, and preaching, and instructing, particularly to the Jewish nation first. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1. Notice Jesus' instruction before he dies. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and notice what the Bible says. Beginning at verse number 4. Hmm. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the, what's it say, my friends? The promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with, what's it say, my friends? The Holy Ghost, not many days hence. The Holy Spirit, verse 7. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in, what's it say? Jerusalem, and what else? All Judea, and then what else? In Samaria, and then what else? So start start in Jerusalem. Start with my people. Start there. As you start there, then you begin to expand. Now, it's interesting, they didn't really want to expand. They were comfortable in their space. Preaching and teaching, until something powerful happened. Go with me to the book. Of, you're still in Acts. Go to chapter six, seven. Chapter seven. Now, chapter seven is one of these sermons. If you if you read it out. Uh, Stephen is preaching. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. Stephen is trying to be very nice. You know, when you're a preacher, you try to be nice. You try to be as kind as you can. And he's preaching. Like, all these verses, man, it's like 69 verses. For at least 50 of them, 40 of them, he's preaching very nicely. He's going through the history of Israel. He's trying to admonish them how God has led. And he's trying to go there. And as he's preaching nicely, all of a sudden, his tone changes. And his tone changes because as he's preaching, he sees the rebellion in the hearts of the people. And he begins to say some very strong words. And I want you to see what he says. I want to start at verse, let's start at verse 48. Now watch this. Stephen is preaching. It says, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? And what is this place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? So now he's nice. Then 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your father did so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, with which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were, what's it say, my friends? They were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast in heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cry with a loud voice, and what did they do, my friends? Now come on, man, that sounds like a child. Don't you see? Don't you see children go? They were under such conviction they stopped their ears and they were crying with a loud voice. They didn't want to hear him speak anymore. And then it says. They crowded a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. So you could be on one accord in evil. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon him and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, the reason why I'm reading this to you, because there is a point in which the children of God are literally only speaking to the Jewish nation. And then chapter 8, look at verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all, what's it say, my friends? Scattered abroad throughout the regions of what? Judea and Samaria, except who? So now there's this expanding of the territory of their preaching. Remember, Jesus said, first start in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay. When we look at this prophecy, uh-oh. when we look at this prophecy, three and a half years, Jesus dies in 31 AD. In 34 AD, that 70-week prophecy is done. When that prophecy is finished, thank you, probation closes, not for the salvation of the Jews, so the Jews can still be saved. Please don't, anybody leave here thinking I'm saying the Jews cannot be saved. But what happens is, as a chosen group of people to carry forward the message of salvation to the world, they were no longer God's chosen. Stay with me. Remember the day of Pentecost? All the people were in one room in one place, and they were all Jews there, my friends, just so you know. But that was the birth of the Christian church. Now you gotta stay with me because now the transition I want to make is so important. The Jewish church or the Christian church is birthed, probation is closed, the Christian church is, is birthed, and as that church is growing and developing, they are full of the Holy Ghost. They have so much power, my friends. I and I, in a, in a godly way, we're supposed to covet good things. When they, when they were so full of the Holy Ghost, the shadow of Peter would walk by somebody and the person would be healed. I mean, that's, that's the level of connection the church had. Now they have these, these fake stuff. Where you, you send in an offering, you get a special handkerchief, you know, and then you no, that's garbage. Okay, that's, 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 that's foolishness. But back in the day when the people of God were filled with the Holy Spirit, you literally touched people and they were healed. That was power. And my friends, those days are coming again, okay? However, God's people are so connected, they're so powerful, they're so, they're so walking with Jesus, the devil literally gets afraid. Now, I, there's, another, there's another interesting point I just want to bring to your mind. There's many that say, when the gospel is preached in all the world, then Jesus will come, right? You've heard that before? Do you know that the book of Colossians says that the gospel is preached to every creature under heaven? In my mind, I'm, it, it, you know, growing up in the church, I would hear people say that, that Jesus, when the gospel preached in all the world, then Jesus comes, and my brain would be like, but wait, have we seen the people in church? <laughs> 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 have you seen the activity level of the preaching of the gospel amongst the people of God? Everybody's chill right now. This is not an urgent burden on the heart of people to make sure people are saved that's not on people's brain they come to church they want to sing and have a great time and then go home and then mind their own business watch all the tv they want to do it's not it's not what i read about in this book am i right or wrong okay i'm just i'm just being real let's have a real conversation so the church because it's full of power the devil is actually afraid he literally is trying to figure out how can I stop the church from having power. I'm going to take you to an Old Testament. No, no, I'm not do that. I'm going to take you to the New Testament, Book of Revelation, then I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. Okay, follow me. To the Book of Revelation. Now watch this. Now in the Book of Revelation, there are seven churches. Each one of these churches is a symbol of a period of the church. I'm particularly interested in the church of Smyrna. I'm Pergamus. I'm sorry. I'm particularly interested in the church of Pergamos. Now watch what it says. We're in uh, Revelation chapter 2, and we're looking at verse number 11, 12, verse number 12. When you have it, just say amen. amen. All right. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus, write, These things saith he with half the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. What do you have against them? Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of who, my friends. Yeah. Now this is so important. The book of Revelation. Every every book in the Bible, every book in the Bible. Every book in the Bible dovetails into the book of Revelation. So you can't understand the book of Revelation without going through Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, Samuel, 1st, Kings, 1st, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, songs, all you got to go through, you got to be willing to study your entirety of your Bible to come to a place of understanding. Does everybody follow that? Okay, so when the Bible begins to reference here, Balaam, who taught Balak, Balaam taught Balak. What did Balaam teach Balak? To cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. That's interesting. To eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit, what's it say? Okay, okay. So in order to understand this, then I would have to know the story of Balaam. Everybody ready to go there? You ready to go there? Now, when I share with you the story of Balaam, there is a piece here, and I'm so excited to share it with you. For me, growing up in a church and listening to people preach sermons and say certain things, that, to me, there was never the understanding of the why. There was always information shared, but the understanding of the why for certain parts of it always left me in a, in a quandary, like, but why? Why is this happening? So I'm going to share something with you that if you can embrace it, you and I can stand faithful to God when all the world is about to go crazy. Yeah. So I'm going to share with you what heaven began to share with me in a little bit of time, because normally I, can, I would go like forever. all right so let's go to the story of Balaam and Balak we're going to numbers now the book of numbers going to the book of numbers are you guys okay turning the pages back and forth all right numbers chapter 22 and just to give you a little bit of backdrop in numbers chapter 21 God's people are traveling through and conquering everybody. There's nobody that's able to stand in front of Israel. God is fighting for them. And the fear of God is going before the children of Israel. Now watch chapter 22. This is quite fascinating. It says, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was so afraid of the people, because they were, what's it say my friends? Many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at this time. So Balak is afraid of the power of God's chosen people. Okay? He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against us. Watch what he requests. Come now. Therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. So, what does he want done? He wants God's people cursed. Curse me this people, for they are too, what's the word, my friends? Come on now, pay attention. Curse me the people because they are too mighty for us. Peradventure, I shall prevail that they that we may smite them and that I might drive them out of the land. For I want that he whom thou blesses is blessed and he whom thou curses is cursed. So Balaam is a prophet. He has a connection with God at some level. The king knows it. Hey man, come over and help us out because these people are causing us mad problems. Come curse the people. Now Balaam can be bought. Okay. There are preachers who can be bought today. You got to be careful, okay? They can be bought. They won't tell you the truth because they're getting paid. They're afraid to lose their church because they don't want to say the truth. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. But they're asking for help to curse the people. The people of God are too mighty for them, and they want to prevail against them. Now this phrase, all that language I just used, prevail, mighty, curse, you can find all that in the book of Daniel. You can find that the 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 beast power prevails against God's people. There's a reason for this language, my friends. Now watch. Uh, Let's start. Verse 8. No, I think you got the point from 22. Everybody knows that the the donkey talked to him. Everybody knows about that? Okay, don't talk to a donkey if it talks back to you, okay? (laughs) Don't have a conversation. I, I think that's a simple point to add to your life. If the donkey talks back... Clearly, something supernatural is happening. Okay? All right. Chapter 23. We're going to get to the part where Balaam has agreed to go and curse the people of God. Watch what happens. Mm-hmm. Verse 7. It says, And he took up this parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, have brought me from Amram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not what, my friend? And how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not what? Defied. For from the tops of the rocks I see him. And from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Now he says this under inspiration. God's putting this in his mouth. Okay? Jump down to verse number 19. Now, the reason why this curse didn't work, he takes him, looks at all the people of God, can't curse them. The king's like, okay, maybe the angle that you were trying to curse them from wasn't working. So we're going to reorganize our situation, target this group. So he goes to another location, tries to curse. Watch what happens. Verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said? And shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? And shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to do what, my friends? Bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Well, that's interesting. Why? Why can't you reverse it? Under inspiration, what does he say? He hath not beheld, what's the word, my friend? Iniquity, Iniquity in Jacob. Neither hath he seen what, my friends? Perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is where? Man, did you guys get it? Stop. I need you to think. All the talks we talked about, everything we talked about, just we're going to bring it here. We're going to bring it here. So these guys want to curse God's people. Can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because there's no sin in the camp listen listen there's nothing perverse there's no there's no poop coming in there's no snakes there's no rats there's no mice the place is clean the most high is in the midst of his people now listen when the most high is in the midst of his people there is no weapon that is formed against us do you follow what i'm saying so with that in mind with that in mind Balaam understands this. And he says, "Well, I can't curse them because they're in such close connection with God. So what I have to do is figure out how can I have them disconnect from God? Because if I can get them to disconnect from God, then they won't have power. And if they don't have power, anything I tell them to do, they're going to do. Let me show you something. I'm going to come out of this for a second. I need to jump down literally jump down. And I want to go I think I want to go if it's not here, we just have to take a break from that. Nope. Yes. Nope. Yes. Let me do something else real quick. There's something else here. I really want to show you this. I I just the way this this thing is worded I don't want to word it differently than the way I found it. And so, we might have to just leave it alone. Okay, let's do this one. Satan is well aware that the weakest soul who abides in Christ is more than a match for the host of darkness. Can I read? Does anybody have a problem with that? It's, it's amazing. The, the, Satan is well aware that the weakest soul who abides in Christ is more than a match for the host of darkness, and that should he reveal himself openly, he would be met and what? Resisted. So what does he do? Therefore, he seeks to draw away the soldiers of the cross from their strong what, my friends? Fortification. While he lies in ambush with his forces, ready to destroy all who venture upon his ground. Now watch. I like the word only. It's one of my top five words. Only in humble reliance upon God and obedience to all his commandments can we be secure. Stay with this. No man is safe for a day or an hour without prayer. Especially should we entreat the Lord for wisdom to understand his word. Here are revealed the wiles of the tempter and the means by which he can successfully be resisted. Satan is an expert in quoting scripture, placing in his own interpretation upon passages by which he hopes to cause us to stumble. We should study the Bible with humility of heart, never losing sight of our dependence upon God. While we must constantly guard against the devices of satan we should pray in faith how often my friends let us not lead us not into temptation now listen my friends i I, i'm sharing this with you because this is the secret i believe many of us just have lost this simple concept we cannot live in this world without the continual abiding presence of god himself We can't do it. Unbroken communion. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. If there are ten commandments and you decide to break one, James says, if you break one, you break them all. So that means, listen to me, that means if I'm keeping nine and I say ten, I don't really need that one. That's just an opinion that, that people have in church. You do that and you keep the nine. Please know that you're wearing fig leaves. Did you get what I said? If you, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? So what's happening is as you're living this quasi-religious life, you are vulnerable. You don't have your whole armor on. What the devil's doing, he's playing us. He's playing us until he gets us out and further out and further out. And you would be like, but I didn't realize How did I end up here? Do you understand the devil's playing for keeps? Do you understand that? And if you understand that, there's a science to this whole thing. There's a science to the whole thing. God gives instruction. I naturally can't obey the instruction. I bound myself in submission to his greatness and say, Father, I can't do it. Please work in me. And he says, yes, my child, I will create in you what you don't have. The whole point of all of this, if I go back, in fact, let me go here for a second. Let me show you this, my little graphics. (laughs) You see this? 8031, church receives power. The Holy Ghost falls upon the church. It has power. It is, it is conquering, going to conquer. Revelation describes that church as the church with the white horse. It is having victory. Souls are being converted. The kingdom of God is expanding. The church disconnects from power by reason of transgression. That's what the book of Daniel says. There's a power that comes in, there, Anybody? Brother, I know you have a good memory. What is the definition of disease? Disease is in Yeah, disease is an effort of nature to free the system from the violation of the laws of health, right? Remember, we found out disease the other night. We found out disease was not our enemy. You guys remember that? If you missed that health talk, you missed the the doozy. Disease is not our enemy. Disease is our friend. Disease lets us know something's wrong. And the body is trying to get it out. Whatever it is, it's trying to get it. Cancer is not our enemy. Cancer is letting me know something's wrong, so I need to ascertain the cause. That's why when people cut cancer out of the body, it never solves the problem. When they burn cancer out of the body, it never solves the problem because cancer is not the problem. There's somewhere in the, in, the, in the experience where there has been a violation of the law of health, and now we need, must address the roots of the problem. So listen to me. The power of Babylon, when it comes and takes Israel captive, Babylon's not the problem. You need to get this. When, When Rome comes and takes God's people captive, Rome is not the problem. The reason why God is using these pagan powers as dominant over God's people is because God's people have broken their covenant relationship and when they break the covenant relationship, God's saying, "Okay, let me let me allow a quote-unquote disease to come. Let me allow a foreign power to come. Let me allow a virus to appear because there is a problem." When you have a when you have an argument in your, in your, with your wife, I know you don't ever argue with your wife, or you argue with your husband. Like if my wife and I get into an argument, and it happens from time to time, right? That happens. In that moment that that argument is taking place, who's the problem? I know you just said it's the other person. It is not. In order to argue, it takes how many? Come on now. So at that point, self must surrender to Jesus, and there can't be an argument if Jesus is there. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So in this sense, as there is disharmony between the two parties, I must ascertain the cause. Is the cause my wife? Probably not. It's probably me right now being a little prideful. Like I'm I'm due, man. What you doing? Questioning me, woman. Now, come on now. Huh? That that's 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 self needs to be submitted to the most high. So when I see the world going crazy, the world's not my problem. Y'all not hearing nothing I'm saying. The problem is the church because the church has lost its power, it's disconnected. So the father says, I must allow this chaos to continue until everybody wakes up and says, you know what? I don't want this anymore. I don't want sin anymore. I don't want pain anymore. I don't want suffering and sorrow anymore. When they wake up to that reality, the question would be, well, how do I get rid of it? Somebody's gonna say, well, we need to pass laws. We need, to take, we need to take guns out of everybody's hands. We need to have a global climate change uh, uh, a meeting. We need to, we need to pass r- religious laws to bring everybody into order. That's man's way because man is always looking to work his way to righteousness. Yes, that's right. Every man is trying to work his way to righteousness. We believe something good is inside of us. There's nothing good in us. Every man tries to work his way. Every man tries to improve his way. We have no goodness. Lucifer in heaven, what does he say? I. I. Yeah. This brightness, this gra- he's, a, he's. He has something innate within himself. Yeah. But in the last days, God's going to have a people that don't look to themselves. Yeah. They look to a kingdom that is not of this world. They're going to have the law of God, not something they efforted but something they received. Where God writes it in their hearts, where God writes it in their minds and in their souls, and they have a vital connection with the Most High. Let me show you something. Last thing, I'm gonna let you go. I my 10, 10 minutes over time. Let me, let me go. Last thing, watch this. Let me show you a small correlation so you can understand the simple fact of what I'm bringing out here. Revelation chapter 13. Watch this, my friends. In Revelation chapter 13, it highlights, and we will identify possibly tomorrow night, I don't know. I don't know how the Spirit's going to lead. But it highlights a power that begins to exist. In Revelation 13, this power persecutes and prosecutes God's people. And it does it for 1,260 days. And a day in Bible prophecy equals what, my friends? So watch this. I want you to read with me verse—we're going to start reading at verse number 4. Revelation 13, verse 4. It says, And they worshiped the dragon, and they worshiped the dragon, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who was likened to the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue how long? Forty and two months. Again, we're going to break that down tomorrow. And he opened his, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God— to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And what's the next part say? What does it say, my friends? It's to overcome them. That should not be in the Bible. The saints should not be overcome. This is the same thing we read in Daniel chapter 7. They were prevailed against. The reason why they're being prevailed against is because they're playing with sin. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So they're prevailed against. Now watch this. It says, and overcome them. And power was given unto him uh, over kindred, tongues, and nations, and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now watch verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the, what's it say? Patience and what? It says patience and faith of the saints. Now, please note, make a mental note of that last part. During this time frame, While God's people are being persecuted and prosecuted, they have patience and they have faith. But there's something missing. Revelation 14. Look at verse number 12. This is under the proclamation of the third angel. In fact, my friends, believe it or not, you are hearing that proclamation tonight. It says in verse 12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that, what's it say? They keep the commandments? commandments? That's what it says. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the what? Please note. That under the previous power, when they were persecuted and prosecuted, they only had faith, they only had patience. But under this one, they have a covenant relationship with God. And it says that they keep God's commandments and they have faith and they have patience. You see, the last generation that lives upon the earth will enter into such a covenant relationship with God that there will be not one sin in their life that they'll be willing to sell God out for you know Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver? I, I, wonder what you, I wonder what you are selling Jesus out for today. Is it a piece of cake? I'm just asking. Is, that, is it a piece of cake you sell? On, is, it, is, it a, is it a movie you want to watch that you just, I'm going to sell him out for a movie. I'm, I'm going to sell him out for, for my clothes. I don't know, what, what possibly could you have in your life that you would sell Jesus out for? So my challenge is simple. Here's my challenge, simple simple challenge. Examine your heart, your life. Do an inventory of your experience with God. And say, Father, is there anything that is short-circuiting my connection with you? Can you do that? Is that something you're willing to do? If you're willing to do that, let me just see your hand. Yeah, if you could do that, my friends, it, it'll be great. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you a secret. The Bible says that when the harvest is ripe, he's coming. It didn't say he's waiting for more destruction. He's waiting for more bloodshed. It didn't say he's waiting. He says when the harvest is ripe, he thrusts in his sickle and he reaps. Why does he do that? He's waiting, my friends. He's waiting for children. He's waiting for you and me to be in such a close connection with him that when the devil puts forward the last test, he will have people that will stand and resist the mark, stand and resist, resist the beast's name and his number, And there have been generations who have been afraid. Listen, how can I be afraid when the Most High stands on my side? Generations have been afraid to enter into this time, my friends. They've been afraid. But I can't be afraid when I know He's with me. I can't be afraid. If it's your desire to enter into this searching experience with God, where God searches your heart, Where he searches it, not you searching by yourself. If you search by yourself, you're going to be scared to death. But he wants to enter into that searching with you, lockstep with you. And what he does, because he's a gentleman, he'll come to a space in your life and he'll say, can I have this? And he's a gentleman. He doesn't snatch it away. He'll say, can I have this? And all you have to say is, yes. When you say yes, he takes it away. He'll come to another spot in your life. Can I have this? But it's my wife. No, no, can I have her? But it's mine. No, can, can I have her? Can I have your children? You have to give him permission, just say yes. And when you say yes, my friends, trust me, he has something better. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He has something better. Something better. If it's your desire to have him walk through your life this way, bow with me on your knees. And if you can't kneel, bow your heart. If you can't kneel, just bow your heart. Father in heaven, your word is so rich. The shout of a king can be amongst us, Father. My mind goes to the story of Balaam and Balak. And as Balaam looked over the millions of people that were in the wilderness, not one sin was brought up to allow a curse to fall upon them. But Father it's not because those people were righteous in and of themselves it's because they had accepted your blood and your atonement in their experience. And Father tonight as a people we come on our knees understanding that we don't know we don't know what we should know. We're not where we should be. So we ask, Father, that you come into our experience and walk with us through the corridors of our hearts. And as you open each door and as you inspect each room, Father, please, please, make us clean. Father, please, we want an end to this sinful world. And in order to have an end to a sinful world, Father, we must have an end to a selfish and rebellious heart. so work in us, Father. and I will pray the prayer that I pray every day, and I pray each one of my brothers and sisters enters into this prayer. Father, take our hearts for we cannot give them, they're your property. Keep them for we cannot keep them for thee. Save us from ourselves, our weak, unchrist-like selves, Lord. And raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love truly can flow through our souls. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. 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 Amen.